Um, test the spirits. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Before the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. We can pray. Let's pray. <clears throat> uh, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word, and we pray now that uh, the, uh, uh, the sword of the spirit would uh, uh, penetrate our minds and our hearts, that uh, you would help us to be people who are, uh, who are discerning, people who uh, can, can, can pick right from wrong, can pick truth from error. Uh, we pray, Father God, that um, as we look at the scriptures now, that we would be having a greater understanding of who Christ is and uh, why he has come and how we ought to be uh, people who clear on that and people who are prepared to assert and to, and to defend uh, the truth of the gospel. And so we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I don't know if you've... The, the largest church in America has over 40,000 people coming to church every Sunday. That's big, isn't it? They've got a big stadium and they do several shifts of uh, church, 40,000 congregation members every Sunday. In the last US presidential campaign, do you remember there was a guy that was running for the top job named Mitt Romney? And what was the big thing about Mitt? Mitt was a, Mitt was a Mormon. And a at that time, the Fox television network uh, interviewed the pastor of this mega church uh, which is down there in Texas, everything's bigger in Texas, uh, in order to get his take on the election. Things are a bit different in America than in Australia. Can you imagine in Australia, the major TV networks going to a pastor to get their take on you know, the election? Uh, it's very different over there. But the interviewer asked him this question. He said, look, it's a question everyone's talking about. I'm sorry, I've got to, got to ask the question of you. Uh, it's about Mitt Romney. He said... Um, is a Mormon a true Christian? Now, how did the Christian leader respond to that? He said this, he said, well, in my mind, they are. Uh, Mitt Romney has said that he believes in Christ as his saviour, and that's what I believe. So I'm not going to be the one to judge the little details of it. So I believe they are. The interviewer was a bit kind of taken back by that, which impressed me, actually. 
And uh, he said, well, hang on a moment. He said, what, what, about the, what about the big differences between Mormon belief and, and Christian belief? And friends, I've got to tell you, the differences between what Mormons believe about God and Jesus and man and salvation is hugely different from what Christians believe about uh, those topics. And part of the reason for that is that uh, the Mormons believe that the Bible is not enough, that uh, they, they've, got a, they've got a fresh revelation uh, from God. It's called the, the Book of Mormon. You heard of that? It's a, they believe in the Bible plus the Book of Mormon, the uh, book which was apparently, you know, they would say was first written uh, on tablets that were found in upstate New York in 1827 and tell the story about how Jesus went to, a, went to America and preached to the Indians and all of this sort of thing. But when asked on secular television about the, the unbiblical beliefs, uh, the pastor of, this pastor of over 40,000 people said this, and I quote, he said, <clears throat> I probably don't get hung up on those theological issues because I haven't studied them or thought about them. I just try to let God be the judge of that. And then he went on to talk about the common bond of salvation that he has with Mormons. Now guys, what do you think about that? It's a couple of big questions that, or more than a couple, the, the two questions that come up in my mind are questions like this. How important is it that we believe the right things about Jesus? Is it really important that we believe the right things about Jesus? And is it good enough to say, well, you know, so long as someone believes in Christ, then that's fine by me. Uh, is that good enough? The Apostle John took a harder line than America's most popular preacher. And uh, in 1 John chapter 4, a passage we're looking at today, verses 1 to 6, he speaks in you know, rather black and white terms. Uh, if you care to open that up, I think it's a good idea to have the Word of God open in front of you, uh, when the preacher preaches, uh, and I'll say more about that in a moment. But in verse 1, John warns his readers that there are two kinds of spirits. Uh, there are spirits which are not from God, and there is the spirit of God. But uh, how do these um, spirits demonstrate themselves? You know, what does the spiritual activity of these spirits look like in practice? In one sense, it can look a rather ordinary, actually. If you have a look in verse 1, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And see, there he links the spirits with prophets, doesn't he? What is prophecy? People have got different views about what prophecy is, but in the Bible... I think if you could boil it all down, the essence of prophecy is this. Uh, to, to prophesy is to, is to represent God by speaking the words of God who people, to people who need to hear what God has to say. And there's a sense in which we do that when we share the gospel with people. Because what are we doing when we share the gospel? Well, we're, we're telling people a message from God, aren't we? We're telling people about the holiness of God, about the sinfulness of man. We, 
talking about tell, telling, warning people about the judgment that is yet to come, and we tell people about Christ, about who He is, about what He's done, about how we ought to respond to Christ in order to avert the impending judgment of God. Now, there are other aspects to prophecy, but that really is the essence of it. You see, when someone claims to be speaking the truth about God, that is not just some ordinary human activity. It's not like talking about the sport or talking about politics. Uh, it's, it's actually a spiritual activity. When someone claims to be speaking the truth about God, that is a spiritual activity. And when we do it, we're representing God. We've got a message from God about Jesus. And it's a, it's a message, by the way, <coughs> that we can, we can only know and understand and believe because we have a spirit within us. And what is that spirit? It is the spirit of, pardon me while I cough, <coughs> that was the time to turn the microphone off. <coughs> pardon me, how embarrassing. <coughs> Just grab some water. <coughs> okay. <coughs> we can only um, believe, that, understand and believe and make the message of the gospel our lives because of the Holy Spirit of God uh, within us. But here, John says that there are false spirits, there are false prophets, that the false prophets, that they are directed by a spirit of falsehood. Now, how, can, how therefore can we spot the difference? I mean, one person says one thing about God, another person says something else about God. If every, pof, if every prophet is the mouth, mouthpiece of a spirit, then how do we know who that spirit is? Well, verses 2 and 3, he says, This is how we can recognise the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Now, as we've been studying this letter of 1 John over the last few weeks, we've become aware that there was a uh, problem which the early Christians were facing. Uh, in those days, of course, they didn't celebrate Christmas, did they? Of course not. Um, if they had, some of the false prophets would not have been able to sing some of our favourite Christmas carols. You know, like the one that says, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. What's the name of that uh, hymn, that particular carol? Hark the Herald. They wouldn't have been able to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And their, their problem was this, that they did not believe that the Christ, that is God the Son, the promised uh, anointed one of God the, that the Old Testament had been saying would come they did not believe that the Christ, God the Son had in fact come uh, that is that they did not believe that he had come uh, in, 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 in flesh uh, 
as uh, uh, they did not believe that he had been incarnate, because incarnate means uh, in the flesh. Uh, carne is meat, flesh, that sort of thing. Now, what some of them did teach was that the Christ, the Christ, had entered into the man Jesus at his baptism and had departed from the man Jesus prior to his death on the cross. So they would say that the Christ was fully God, but he wasn't actually fully man. You see the distinction there? A bit later on in history, other false teachers would say that uh, the Christ was fully man, but he wasn't fully God. And uh, in the 4th century AD, they came to be known as Arians. The modern-day equivalent of Arians are the Jehovah's Witnesses come knocking on your door. They don't believe that Jesus is fully God. They believe he was a prophet or just a God, lowercase God, a created being. Now, sometimes we Christians can get a little bit too worked up on issues that really are not differences that are not essential to salvation, um, you know, such as baptism, whether baptism should be by sprinkling or full immersion or whatever. But the issue here in 1 John is a core issue. It is a matter of salvation. It's a matter which is the difference between going to heaven or going to hell. Um, false teachers were saying that Jesus was not uh, that, that, that Jesus was not both perfectly God and perfectly man at the same time. And you know what? If, uh, if, if the Christ was not fully man, then that means that he actually wasn't one of us. And that's got huge implications for salvation. Um, what spirit does John, does John say is behind that message? Uh, which, which spirit is inspiring those prophets? In verse 3, it is the spirit of the, of the Antichrist. Spirit of the Antichrist. Now, <clears throat> these guys uh, looked like they were Christians. <clears throat> in fact, uh, in chapter 2, verse 19, uh, they used to be card-carrying members of the church. They might have looked like Christians, but they were not followers of Christ. In fact, they were opposed to Christ. They're the Antichrist or an Antichrist. You know, there's a lot of talk in modern Christianity about Antichrist. I'm sure that you've heard a lot of it, and it's probably a bigger subject than what we want to deal with today. But some Christians talk about a, you know, about a future powerful person who will come into the world and will dominate, will establish a one-world governant. And uh, sometimes he's called the Antichrist. That they often link him with the beast in the book of Revelation or the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And at certain times in history, various individuals have been said, have been declared to be the Antichrist. Have you heard about that? One of the guys in the 9 o'clock services, older guy, said to me, you know, when World War II broke out, a lot of the Christians were saying, there's the Antichrist, you know, uh, Adolf Hitler. Um, and we can understand why, but what, what does the Bible actually say about the Antichrist? The, one of the interesting things is that the term Antichrist is only used four times in the whole of the Bible, and uh, three of those times are in this letter, John's first letter, and the other time is in John's um, second letter. Ha have a look, for example, at uh, chapter 2, verse 18. So we'll just go through 
the different uh, verses in relation to the Antichrist. In 2.18, he says, Dear children, this is, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Uh, go down to verse 22. <clears throat> who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. Um, or if you uh, <clears throat> turn over to chapter 4, verse 3, in our passage today, verse 3, just read that again. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Go over the page to 2 John, <clears throat> verse 7. <clears throat> There's no chapters in 2 John, it's just 2 John verse 7, where it says, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now, he says that you have heard that the antichrist is coming. We, we actually don't know who they heard that from, uh, because they didn't hear it from the scriptures, because these are the only verses in scripture that refer to the Antichrist. So we, we don't know who they heard about this coming figure, the Antichrist, who they heard that from. But um, John says, well, you've, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. He says, well, I'm telling you this, uh, many Antichrists have already come. In fact, they're here with us now. Um, at this present time. There's lots of them. They're in the world. Who are they? Well, they are anyone who denies that Jesus, the Christ, has come in the flesh. Now, why is it so essential that God the Son uh, not only, uh, not just looked like a man or entered into a man, but that he, in fact, became a man. Why is it that he, so essential that uh, Jesus Christ is both 100% God and 100% man? I know the mass doesn't add up, but we're talking about Christ here. Uh, why is it so important that he's 100% God and 100% man? Um, let's just turn over to the book of Hebrews for a few moments. If you go back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 2, which you'll find on page 800, 847. In 847, I'll just read to you, there's a lot we could read from Hebrews actually about this particular point, but uh, just check out verses 14 through to 18 of chapter 2. Verse 14 the author to the Hebrews says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy those, destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement 
for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. See, the great news is that God's Christ, Jesus, became one of us. That, That he shared our experience of life that he knew what it was to be hungry, to to be exhausted, that he knew what it was like to be victimised, to be treated poorly. He knew what it was like to face death. But he did not know what it was like to sin. It means that Jesus is perfectly man. He understands us. He can sympathise with us. But most of all, he can represent us. So that when he hung and died on the cross, suffering the judgment of God, that he did so in our place, as one of us, as our representative, as the perfect Adam, as your representative and as my representative. So he was perfectly man, that's very important. But he was also perfectly God, which means that his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient. It is more than enough to pay the penalty for the sins of every person around the world and throughout history. Every person, uh, his sins are sufficient to pay for any, his, his death on the cross is sufficient to pay for any sin but is specifically applied to the sins of any person who puts their trust in him. And that includes you. It doesn't matter how you've lived. It doesn't matter how small your sin might be or how great your sin might be. Uh, The sacrifice of your representative, God the Son, is enough to wash away all of your guilt and offer you a, a fresh start, a life with God, that goes on forever. You know the song, In Christ Alone? It's one of my favourites, actually. Um, I was just reading in the Christian media on Saturday that the Presbyterian Church of the USA, uh, which is the biggest Presbyterian denomination in America, Uh, to be distinguished from the Presbyterian Church of America, the PCA. PCA are like us, but the PCUSA, the larger denomination, are liberals. And uh, they've just had a bit of a kerfuffle and they've decided to to not include In Christ Alone uh, in their new hymn book. And uh, the reason was one line in the, in, the, in the song. It says, When on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. So, when on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Because of that last clause, they have rejected it from their hymn book. The wrath of God implies a God of justice, a God who punishes sin. Uh, The wrath of God was satisfied uh, implies 
that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for sin. So they talked to the writers of the song and said, hey, would you mind if we just change the words around a little bit? Instead of having the wrath of God was satisfied, could we just make it say the love of God was magnified? Now, of course, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. Everything wrong with it. Because uh, what they're doing there is they're asserting a truth but in order to replace the key truth about who Jesus is and why he came as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus is not God. The Mormons say that Jesus is a created being, he, that he was the offspring of God the Father and one of God the Father's heavenly wives. And America's most popular teacher says it doesn't really matter. That's just theology. But John says no. John says it is vital that we must test the spirits. In other words, don't believe everything that you hear because there are false prophets. And so watch out. Now, the good news here, though, is that uh, the Christians to whom John wrote in the first century had not apparently been fooled. Um, Because if you have a look at uh, chapter 4, verse 4, he says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Who is the one who is in them? The Holy Spirit of God. And apparently they have overcome these false teachers. We uh, saw, saw uh, in, earlier that uh, they, uh, these false prophets had actually left them. They left them because they weren't, didn't belong to them. It may be because the Christians here have rejected them. I remember one year, it was the week before Christmas, when a, uh, there was a bishop on TV. And he said that the, the incarnation of Jesus, the idea that... Uh, God became flesh. He said, well, it's just a myth. He said it uh, was a fairy story. It's a quaint legend. It, was, it, it didn't really happen. Jesus was only a man. He wasn't God come in the flesh. And the non-Christians praised him for this. Uh, they, they said that he was, a, he was a courageous hero because he was standing up against church teaching And he was making Christianity relevant for 21st century people so that people actually wouldn't have to repent and wouldn't have to believe in who Christ is but still be okay with God. Now, we should not be surprised at this because John says that uh, there is not only two types of prophets but there are two types of spirits. Uh, Sorry, he says that there's not only two types of prophets, that is, two types of spirits, but in verses 4 through to 6, he says that there are also two types of hearers. There are those who listen to the viewpoint of the world who actually like to hear that Jesus is not God, who like to hear that, uh, that God wants them to be successful rather than to be repentant 
We like to hear that it's all okay, that all roads lead to God, that it doesn't really matter what you think about Jesus. And we should not be surprised that many will come and flock to hear what their itching ears want to hear because they belong to the world. It's not just the, 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 uh, the prophets that belong to the world, it's the hearers that belong to the world as well. But then he says, secondly, that there are those who belong to God. And those who belong to God are those who listen to the apostles. We see that in verse 6. He says, we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognise the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Sounds like John might be a bit arrogant there. You know, he's saying, look, if you belong to God, then you'll be the ones who will listen to us. There's no arrogance at all in what John is saying. John lived with Jesus. John heard Jesus' teaching with his own ears. Uh, John saw Jesus and saw all of the miraculous signs that Jesus had done with his own eyes. He was an eyewitness. John touched him with his own hands. He was no apparition. He was physical. He was flesh and blood. John's message and the message of the apostles about Jesus is therefore reliable. How therefore do we test the spirits? Well, have you got your Bibles open? That's the first step. You see, you know, as you listen to any preacher, especially as you listen to me, because you're listening to me more than anyone else, have your Bibles open so that you can compare and, and check uh, the message of the preacher to see whether or not what the preacher is saying is actually coming from the Scriptures, coming out of the Scriptures rather than being imposed onto the Scriptures or even ignoring the Scriptures. To check whether the message of the preacher is the message which was once and for all passed down to us in the Scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments. Remember the Berean Christians in Acts chapter 17? The Apostle Paul you know, spent some time with them. The Apostle Paul, who had seen the resurrected Jesus, came to them and preached the gospel. And what did they do? They searched the scriptures daily to see whether or not what the Apostle Paul was saying fitted in with what the scriptures said through the, the, through the prophets. And that's, that's what we need to be. We need to be people who don't just believe everything that we're told, but that we search the scriptures, we check the apostolic witness so that we believe the right things about who Jesus is, why he came, and how we ought to respond to him. And so that as we do that, we can not only be believing and asserting the truth, but we can be discerning and rejecting falsehood. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the witness of the apostles. We thank you that uh, what they teach about Jesus uh, is the reliable testimony. We pray for ourselves that we would not be people of the world who simply want to hear what itching ears want to hear, but rather that filled with your spirit, we would be people who are hungering and thirsting after the truth about you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in your incredible mercy that, uh, uh, that God the Son became flesh and lived and dwelt amongst us and died for us. We thank you that he was our representative, our substitute, that he was the perfect man. And as perfect God, that his sacrifice was sufficient for the sins of the whole world, especially ours. We thank you for that. We, thank, we pray that we would be committed to him, devoted to him, that we would keep on uh, plumbing the depths of who he is and what he's done for us and that we would not be misled, that we would not be people who move with every wind of doctrine and, uh, Father, that we would be able to assert the truth and reject the false claims that are so often made about Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.